What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Over Six Sports Podcast. As always, I am Zach the Bandit Burke, and with me is the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. Cam, happy Thursday, happy end of the NFL season. How are you doing today? I am doing quite well. Just another round of golf, getting playing a bunch of sim golf now. Things are opening up, getting ready for the season. Pretty pumped for that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like no football Thursday this week. There's actually no football at all. I don't even know what to look forward to this weekend. What am I going to do on Sunday? I am lost. I have no idea anymore. And and not only that, the Olympics are also uh, coming to an end. Uh, those are done on su- Sunday or Saturday as well. Um, so it's going to be uh, NHL, NBA. We have the draft coming up. which is in a while, but the NFL draft and and a bunch of drafts and then playoffs and all that kind of stuff kicks off. But, oh, and and the Jays, you know, their season starts in less than a month and a half. So April. They don't figure it out in the next week. They're not starting on time. So most likely it's not starting on time. They they might. I mean, we could start with that too. Um, I mean, right now the, we got lots. I mean, the pack show, we got lots to get into. Um, Our shows are probably not going to be, hour and a half two hours um this time of year i you know this is kind of a not not a not a doldrums or like a a dog days it's just honestly there's just not as much uh you know sort of content to to get into we'll we'll fill it for you we'll give you an hour so let's start that off with um yeah major league baseball and the major league baseball players association is not getting along you could no, say it's not even close, not even close right now to figuring anything no. out. That's why the, the season's not starting on time. I know last week you're getting the updates. You're like pitchers and catchers are supposed to report last week. And now we're still no closer. And as it's been mentioned by multiple baseball insiders in the last week, if they don't figure something out by the end of next week, the season will not start on time. They will not have enough time to start on time. Are they just fighting over money again? Like, is this it's a lot it's a lot more than money because it's, I mean, it all comes down to money, but it's minor leaguers getting paid more, trying to get guys. So they get paid quicker than the, whatever, seven years it is for major league baseball, go something more like the NHL NBA type stuff where it's like a three year entry level contract, but they want more rights for uh, guys in the minors and start to figure out that a little better. But I mean, it's not money, but it really is all at the same time. So why would the owners not want that? Is it just like is that does it come down to money for them or is it really just losing the flexibility of of the roster? Like for example, you know, Bo Bichette, Vladdy Guerrero, you know, the way that their contracts and everything worked, you know, they kind of got to the point where they were studs and then they're still on an entry level deal for two three years or something to that effect. Um, can't say that I'm an aficionado on uh, Major League Baseball contracts, but it, is that what they're sticking on? Is it like well? the sooner they get to free agency, the sooner we have to pay them big money. So we kind of like how it is because we can just stretch this entry level process out longer. Yeah. A lot of that, this is basically what it is. One of the big things they're arguing over right now is arbitration rights and stuff. The major league baseball purport lowering the percentage of players eligible for arbitration after two years of service. They want it at a hundred percent, the PA right now it's currently 22% of players. So the Players Association just lowered it to 80%. They're willing to go to 80%, but the owners don't want to budge off the 22% who can go to arbitration. 
and arbitration just means those guys are still going to get paid a ton. You're seeing arbitration records get broke every year. So, yeah, they don't want to pay these guys early in their careers until they're more proven. You're already seeing it a ton. Guys are stepping up. I mean, we're hearing Juan Soto's turning down, what, $350 million. Right now he wants a contract that's going to be closer to $500 million. So, Whew. I mean, it, I don't really understand this kind of money and what they're arguing for. I do understand how... They want more rights for younger players and the minors needs to be figured out better. But I'm like, how about we just get rid of maybe cap the top guys then? I bet you there'll be agreements if, yeah, you can't get paid over a certain percentage because you can't have guys making $350 million. Because really, who needs $350 million? And help spread that money to some of the guys who need it more. Well, I mean, there is somebody who needs that much money, and I'll get to that a little bit later. That's a, that's a golf conversation. Uh, but... Um... I mean, hopefully they figure it out because, you know, April, the, the start of April is, is kind of the, you know, the best time of the year in sports. One of the best times. Um, I think, you know, September um, is one of the best months in sports where you have kind of the NHL kicking off, the NFL kicking off. I mean, NHL is a little bit later, closer to October 1st, but um, you have all of those sports going. You have, you know, um, the MLB playoffs. As I said, NFL is starting. Like, it's just a great overall sports time. And then the other best one is April. April is just the bomb because you're, you're starting to get into, you know, uh, games that matter in the NHL, NHL playoffs, NBA, NBA playoffs, uh, the Masters in April, um, Major League Baseball starts up. Like, it's just one of those months that it's just so – I mean, there's no NFL, but I when is the draft in May or is it in April? I can't I think it's in May, actually. Anymore. But uh, either way, either way. Um, that time of year is so sick. Um, and I look forward to opening day, um, every year, especially this year when by all intents and purposes, the ballparks are going to be absolutely packed. Um, you're going to be full capacity, uh, as long as we have no setbacks, which will be awesome. In my opinion, it's about time that we were kind of getting back to that. Um, so let's just hope that, you know, that they can come to some sort of an agreement. And even if they, I just think it's so shitty, like for the players too. And I get that, you know, it's, this is the deal with unions and, and, and they're not the first league to have this issue. I mean, they had a lockout not that long ago. The NHL's done it. The NBA figure seems to figure it out really quickly when they ever have, um, you know, contract issues between the league and the players association. Um, but like, let's just, like, are, are the players forgetting that they only played, like they basically had a lockout in 2020 because they only played 60 games, 65 games. Yeah, this is what's hurt even some of these younger guys even more. They haven't been getting paid. Like, they've been getting paid less and stuff. So there's all the arguments there. I don't know. I think it's tougher when we talk, like, NBA. NBA teams, you have to pay, what, seven players you're actually paying? Somewhat. Like, your last, like, three bench players rarely play, and most teams don't pay them anything, especially these super teams. They can't afford to with the way the cap works. Uh, NHL, you're paying quite a few more guys. You're really probably 10 guys you're paying pretty good, 11 guys, including your goalie. The rest you still got to pay and give some money to. Baseball, you're paying way more guys, a lot of money. And then when you start talking about minors and talking about the amount of money that they're paying and stuff, and I don't know, it's way more confusing, way over my head when it comes to this amount of money and then all the legal stuff that goes into these negotiations as well. But as of the moment, it doesn't sound like the MLB is close, which sucks because the Jays should be a contender this season and the Rogers Center should be packed. Well, and, and I just, the last thing I want to say on that is, is like, I just find that lockouts are the dumbest thing because MLB teams don't make money when they don't play. 
So, like, the players don't make money. The owners don't make money. Well, the owners make a little money off of merch and stuff, but compared to actual gameplay, they make nothing. There's no ad revenue. There's no ticket revenue. There's no concession revenue. There's nothing. Like, all the major sources of revenue. So, it's really not good for anybody. So, it makes me wonder, you know, how much they're going to dig in. Can they kind of figure it out at the 11th hour? Uh, we're going to find out. Um, speaking about uh, players wanting to get paid a lot of money in the, in, in the realm of millions and millions and millions of dollars, we've got some uh, a little bit of a schism in the PGA Tour, you might say, with some big names going to the new Saudi League and to the tune of big money. And the biggest name reported, I'm not, you can let me know if it's confirmed or not, but Bryson DeChambeau is going to the Saudi League to the tune of, I think it was $150 million for him to go and play over there. Yeah, I believe the number is $140 million, which is $8 million more than Tiger Woods has made in his career. And it's not confirmed. It sounds like any of the guys who have signed up to play for this league already have had to sign an NDA until they announce it the week of the players, which is the PGA's marquee event other than P- other than the major is the players weekend. And that's when it sounds like the Saudi tournament's going to go live. They were waiting for it to get 20 players and really, so it sounds like there's four or five confirmed, a couple other rumored. Everyone's rumored right now. There's nobody <clears throat> confirmed other than maybe J- Jason Kokrak. It sounds like he actually did confirm himself. He's going over there. He's not going to get $140 million. A lot of people probably don't even know who Jason Kokrak is, but he's a pretty decent PGA player. I'd say he's probably consistently in the top 50 in the world. Um, and his reasoning for wanting to go over there is he can make a bunch of guaranteed money and retire at 40 to spend the rest of his life with his family. And... I mean, for me, I'm like, I want to retire so I can golf every day. You want to golf every day so you can retire? That seems backwards. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, this is the same argument you get in the NFL, the same argument you get in tennis and some of these other sports. The Saudi League's giving you guaranteed money. On the PGA Tour, you don't get guaranteed money. If you're not performing and you're not at the top, you don't get the major sponsorships, you just don't get paid. And you can struggle out there. So if this Saudi league is offering you guaranteed contracts, something that the NFL players argue all the time, they want guaranteed contracts, I get it to an extent. For me, guys like the rumored ones we're hearing, Lee Westwood, makes sense for him to go over there and make money. He's Well, he's at the end of his career, right? He's the end of his career. You can go make a ton of money. Why not? If you're not worried about the blood money and whatever, everything else that's going on with the Saudi money. Sure, makes sense. A guy like Bryson to me doesn't make sense. And you're hearing it from a lot of the other PGA guys. Like, Rory's not going to go. I mean, Tiger's not going to go, but it's Tiger. Uh, we get Max Homa's not going. Like, these guys all aren't going. And they're like, Max Homa's quotes was some of my favorite. He won last year at Riviera, which is probably a top five event on the PGA Tour. It's the one that Tiger hosts. Uh, the payout is $1.67 million he made last year. And he was talking about it. He's like, $1.67 million is the most I've made on tour in a win or anything. He's like, but that has nothing to do with why I remember the tournament or anything. He remembers getting a trophy from Tiger Woods. You're not going to do that in the Saudi League. And, playing on, his own, tra- and playing on his own course, too. Like a course that yeah. he grew up, you know, going he to did. this event, playing on this course, you know, being around that spot. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like that's a way better memory than I mean let's let's not let's not joke or, like kid ourselves though I mean 1.67 million dollars rolling in your bank account is not the worst memory to have um but the point no. being more so that the, the the memories and the nostalgia of the whole thing is is the main thing that he remembers yeah and he's saying his life is no different today than it was last year he makes a bunch of money off sponsors Max Holm was a really funny guy on Twitter a lot of companies back him because he's a really good guy and an easy guy to get behind and 
he's just a super good guy. So again, it's just like when you're talking about some of these guys and it's just comes down to money again. And it's, is this enough money? Like what's enough money? They were even talking about like Kokrak's made $20 million in his career on the PGA tour. Is that not enough to retire? Like if you've looked after it properly, that's just career earnings. That has nothing to do with sponsorships. So it's, it's kind of crazy. It's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. These guys, at as of the moment, would be able to compete on the U.S. Open, the British Open, and the Masters as of this moment. None of those three governing bodies have said they can't play in their events. The PGA Tour is the only one that says you can't. Well, and and another name that came up was was Phil Mickelson, um, in the, in the, which is a great get for the Saudi League, honestly, because he's a fan favorite. Um, you know, big big name in golf, but again, he like. All of these guys, like Lee Westwood, Adam Scott was another one that was rumored as well, and then Phil Mickelson. And I'm like, well, Phil, you know, he he won a you know he he won a, a nice tournament last year. He won the tour champion was a tour championship last year, and PGA. PGA championship last year. Sorry, and he, which is great, but like that's again, let's let's call it what it is. Phil is again another guy that he's having a ton of success on the Champions Tour. He has more success on the Champions Tour than he does. Uh, on the PGA Tour, because he's just he he does not he's just not as long anymore. So why would you not take a bag out in the Saudi League? And yeah, okay, you could argue well it tarnishes. Yeah, but Phil doesn't care. I'm sure. Like the, these guys, like you're like, oh okay, like my legacy is gonna be tarnished. Oh well. Same thing with Bryson. Bryson, like would it suck to lose him off the PGA? Yeah, because he's one of the best villains that we have on the on the tour. But I, you know. If somebody came to you and said, like, and, and we're just, you know, two guys who were not professionals, but if somebody came to me and said, okay, I'll give you 140 million bucks. Now, again, I'm not Bryson DeChambeau, but I'll give you 100 million bucks. I'll even give you 50 million bucks guaranteed. You come play in this league for, I don't know what the contract length is or how long they're there. But, you know, the PGA Tour has talked about, like, if you go, like, you're done on the PGA Tour, you're essentially excommunicated from the PGA uh, community. And I'm like, it's 50 million bucks. Like, you can go play on the European tour if you really wanted to. You go play like this Saudi league if it even if it doesn't kick off, you're leaving the whole thing with fifty million bucks. So I mean Yeah, I mean like Phil's comments are more interesting than Bryson still makes no sense to me. There's a good chance he loses all his major sponsors going over there because nobody wants to sponsor people in a league run by the Saudis. That's just not something a lot of these major companies are going to want to do. So he's probably going to lose his Cobra Puma sponsor. He's probably going to lose a bunch of else other than that. I'm like, really? Is that not making up for like money? A guy like Phil's comments are interested. The guy's made more than enough money in the PGA and his sponsorships and his companies and all that. He's made way more than enough money. Phil's comments is doing it so that the PGA tour starts stepping up and giving stipends and trying to get these guys like better appearance fees and more guaranteed money like you sh you make the players here no matter what you're guaranteed money like try and get guys stipends and he's hoping to really cr hit the system hard for the pga tour by going over there now that's his comments for it is he wants to make a difference for future pga tour members which kind of makes sense so if that's his argument i get it bryson still doesn't make sense to me it i mean this is a guy who i don't really think cares about his reputation and he's fine being the villain so Again, it just doesn't make sense. Some of these other guys, end of your career, or Phil with his comments he's made, that kind of does make sense, although we'll see if it makes a difference or not. 
Well, and I don't really know much about it. Like, do they only play in Saudi Arabia or do they like, is the Saudi league like move around and say like into other parts of Asia and like, they basically do like a European tour kind of thing because. So there was reports today that were official reports that they had reached out to the pulpit club, which is in, in Caledon, Ontario about doing an event there. So it sounds like they will be all over the world, wherever they can get in. There was uh, a couple rumors that they also reached out to the uh, golf course in Calgary that is Phil Mickelson owned about doing an event there. So it looks like they're looking in Canada. They're looking all over the world to play. So I imagine it'll be a worldwide. What I wonder, too, is, is like, how does this work from like a broadcasting standpoint? Like, would TSN pick that up or would, you know, this is just something that I, you know, I don't think necessarily matters at this point. But I mean, for them to be successful, they're going to have to get some sort of viewerships for the PGA Tour to do anything. The Saudi League is actually going to have to, you know, make a product that that is worth competing. Um, and let's be honest here, like the European Tour, at least over here, doesn't like how many European Tour events do you see on TV over in North America? Very, very few. Some, but very few. So from a dollar standpoint, I'm like, OK, so how would the pga tour feel like if tsn who hosts who has rights to the masters if they pick up you know saudi leagues i don't know how that's going to go over with the pga tour like the whole thing's a giant mess um and in terms of that stuff but like not gonna lie i would be curious to watch like if they get some decent names over there i mean i like watching really any sort of competitive golf um that has like decent names in it right if you if you're gonna fill it with the bottom 20 in the league that i have no idea who they are then I'm probably going to be less interested. But if you have some big names in there, like I'd like to watch Phil Nicholson and, you know, go head to head with Westwood or Scott or DeChambeau or whoever. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting the way it's going to work. My guess is they're, they don't seem very worried about making money, this entire Saudi league. They don't seem like they're really that worried about making money. They have more money than they know what then to what's do the with. Point? Some, just to say they did it. That is a crazy. That's all. That's an expensive point. That that yeah. But it's same same thing. They've done in F one a bit. They're not like when they've got into F one with a couple of their the team they got into it at one point and stuff. They're not in it to make money. They're just in it to make a statement for the clout. Yeah, like the clouts make a statement. Like I don't like. It's just kind of this world thing. I don't really get it either. But <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like they're in, in it to make money. It sounds like if anything, it'll be on like a streaming service and probably nobody's gonna nobody's gonna pay for the rights. I don't think like TSN and Sportsnet aren't that interested in the rights for it, I can't imagine. So Dizone? Dizone picks up the uh the Saudi Maybe. tour? That actually wouldn't be a bad get. I actually might have to keep Dizone for a longer period of time. Once they get anything other than soccer and the NFL on there or cricket or whatever else they have, then then I might be interested. But um anyway drama 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 uh by the way we can stick with the pga tour because i want to talk a little bit about the waste management open this past weekend and uh fans getting the chuck beer on 16 not once but twice yeah, I mean, they did end up chucking beer more than that when Harry <laughs> Higgs and Joel Damon were on the hole and started flashing people and having fun i mean this is the one event where I'll allow it as I'd say I'm more of a traditional, like in between traditional and non-traditional. It's fun for the one event and one hole on the tour each year. If this carries over to like next week's event, especially at Riv, it would be ridiculous and horrible, I think. But for this, it's it's a ton of fun. It's, I mean, maybe the whole chucking beer, especially when you hear some of the players like almost getting pegged in the head, stuff like that. Maybe that's a little far, but throwing the beer up in the air and soaking everybody, going crazy, having the music going... 
Like that's all fun. And if you don't enjoy that, I mean, really you don't enjoy fun. And again, how many people are talking about it? People who don't talk about golf typically are talking about this hole in this event. So, I mean, it's good for growing the game. I, I just uh, watching it was just, I thought it was super fun. I mean, I, we already knew the when the waste management open is like, one of the unspoken, like not, ma- it's not a major, obviously there's only four, but it kind of feels like it is. Cause it's just one of those events that everybody wants to go play. Right. Like all the big names in golf want to go play in that event for the most part. And they just, you know, when you get down to 16, they just have the time of their life and they kind of let that inner kid out. Um, I mean, I'd be curious, like if a guy on 16, for some reason, shanked it, didn't get it past the forward tees, would they, you know, like drop trout? Cause that would be hilarious. I'd love, I'd love to see something like that, but um, yeah, two aces on 16, two Saturday. It was yeah, it Saturday, massive, Sunday or Friday, Saturday, 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 Sunday, Saturday. It's a lot bigger event there because Sunday is the Super Bowl uh, this year. So it was, I guess, a little bit smaller and quieter on Sunday, but Saturday, the ace was absolutely insane. And you think like all the, all the cameras and mics are in there, but you saw Matt Wallace on the range and just, you could still hear it from his video swing on the range at how nuts it was. They were talking to Sam Ryder who got the hole on one on Saturday. And it's just crazy how amped up these guys are on that hole. So it was playing, I think 140, 142 on Saturday. And he was playing it like hitting his 105, 110 club. Cause the adrenaline is just going so much on that hole with everyone around. And he's just like talking about it. He's like, yeah, I'm just trying to think to myself, just don't hosel it into the crowd and kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, if he, if he did hosel it in the crowd though, would they chuck beers? I feel like they would. It would go just as viral as the whole one. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, anyway. And, uh, I mean, the, the Tagala, the sponsor's exemption, had a run. Didn't get it done. Uh, kind of choked on 18, to be honest. They, yeah, had a chance to win or even had a, you know, and just, you know, pulled a, pulled a Burke, shanked it right off the, off the tee box. I, I looked at that shot. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I know that you have a chance to win a big golf tournament, but I've done that a few times in my life. Yeah, it looked like all week. All week, it didn't really look like the nerves were getting to him, but 18 on Sunday, I guess the nerves really... 72nd hole of the tournament, the nerves start to amp up a bit, so... And Scheffler won, and the rest is history in a playoff, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just... Again, this time of year, right? Like, over the Christmas months, like November kind of you know, December, January, there's not a whole lot going on. Not any kind of big tournaments that you're really like looking forward to. But as we kind of roll into this time of the year, it's major season. It's master season. Um, I can't wait, honestly, a month and like a month and a bit to go. And we'll be doing our, uh, we'll, we'll be doing our master show. So should be good. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. Do you want to get into Olympic stuff or do you want to get into uh, the Super Bowl? I am good either way. I'll leave that one up to you. Well, if you leave it up to me, then I'm just going to go right and play our, uh, play our football theme one last time for the season until we kind of get into the draft. Um, Super Bowl 56, Rams and the Bengals. And it was a, uh, yeah, it was, I don't want to say it was a classic. It was a good game. Um, the halftime show wasn't bad. Some classic, uh, some classic hip hop that anybody that was kind of born, raised in the 80s, 90s, we all love that kind of stuff. Um, 
the game itself, again, the Bengals were uh, were in control for a while, but uh, but Matt Stafford had himself a game, and Cooper Cup, as always, had himself a game. Um, Super Bowl MVP is was you know Cooper Cup, and I was disappointed because I had money on Aaron Donald at eight to one to to win that. But um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the, the 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 first thing that I'll say is is that I think the better team overall this season won, and I think that makes sense. And sometimes, um, you know. Teams that have Cinderella stories don't always get that, don't always get that Cinderella ending. Yeah, one of the craziest stats I love out of this game is Cooper Cup got the under in his receiving yards and won Super Bowl MVP. Like, what are the chances of that happening? He didn't reach his receiving yard total that all the books had, but he still won Super Bowl MVP. Well, I mean, and then the, we get Matt Stafford kind of did it to himself by throwing two picks, which was Matt Stafford over 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 one or over point five picks was the lock of the century. Yeah, both picks. The one pick was more of an arm punt. It was he, he was going deep, and he didn't really care. It was in the end zone. The other one was just uh, Skoranek's fault completely. Like, he should not have tipped that up to the guy. So I will give Matt Stafford a little bit of slack there. The end of the game, he did the drive with less than five minutes left, and that was something that Jared Goff couldn't do. That drive and that no-look pass he made where he just completely looked off the linebacker, which is an unbelievable pass. Those are the plays, and that those are the moments that you got Matt Stafford for. Those are why you traded the first-round pick and gave up Goff to get him here was for those moments, and you got the championship because of it. So, I mean, that's exactly why you brought him in, and he got the job done when he needed to. I mean, we'll talk whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. I don't think he is, but I've been on the downside of Phillip Rivers, and when Matt Ryan gets there, he's not a Hall of Famer either, in my opinion. All these guys are a part of just massive stat-padding, passing game. Like, everyone... St- Pad stats now, so. Well, and I mean, like, if everybody makes it to the Hall of Fame, it, it's not like if you win a Super Bowl, it'll be you, the you, NHL. It'll be the NHL Hall of Fame. Oh, exactly. Like anybody who's played like a thousand games gets into the Hall of Fame, like pretty much, and sometimes even less. Like it's like, oh, like you did anything memorable? I'm just waiting for the moment that like John Scott gets into the Hockey Hall of Fame for the that All Star game, and like no offense, to John Scott, he seems like, like I met him a couple times, decent person. Um, he's not an NHL all-star. He would be the first to tell you that he's not an NHL all-star, but I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for them to, to induct, induct, like induct that moment. Like, Oh, John Scott with his, no, absolutely not. It just cheapens everything else. Right. And I know that like that doesn't touch, you know, what Gretzky did, Willem, you did Gordy Howe, um, Beliveau, uh, rocket or anything like that. Like all those guys are next level. But as soon as like when you're putting guys in that are like average, NHL players, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's the exact same thing in the NFL, right? If you're putting in every quarterback, like, I mean, who's another quarterback that, um, you know, could you like Dan, Mar- here's an example. Is Dan Marino in the, in the football hall of fame? I have no idea. I think he I is. I assume so. I think he is. I assume but like, so. why would Dan Marino be in there? And I don't like, We're Miami fans. Like, I think like, to me, I'm like, I, that doesn't make Cause he was, he was the best in the league at one point. I get that. But he didn't season. win shit. But if you're the like he was the best in the league for a couple seasons, so at least he was that. Matt Stafford's never been the best player in the league at any one season. He's been up there. He's been top three, top five quarterback for a bunch of years, but he's never been the best in the league once. He doesn't have an MVP. He doesn't have a Super Bowl MVP. He doesn't have any of that. So if you're best in the league once, you're you're a Hall of Famer. Is that the no? But if you're if you're best in the league once, you have a long career. You do pad your stats, and you're like top five in a bunch of categories, and you have been the best in the. Then I my argument is yes. Is Carson Wentz a Hall of Famer? If he had 
20 years and kept. Because he was the best in the league, like, what, five years ago? Yeah, he was up for MVP and stuff. And, again, like, if Carson Wentz had 15 more year career and started to get into the top five conversation in some of the passing categories and touchdown categories, yeah, I'd probably argue Carson Wentz is a Hall of Famer. Currently, Carson Wentz is not anywhere close to a Hall of Famer. No. And he's not going to end up there. But, I mean, he's got a Super Bowl. He was the best of the league at one time. And this is where, like, I, you know, I I don't know what the – parameters are i mean this is like eli manning like eli manning gonna make the hall of fame probably should he make the hall of fame no i'm like no he won he won two super bowls which is great like that that's an amazing achievement his numbers were not good overall he was not that good of a quarterback he had two lucky plays in super bowls that he probably should have lost and you could and you could argue back like people argue well tom brady had you know he cheated on two of them and he got lucky on a tuck rule and and blah 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 like you know like you you could argue that to your blue in the face but i mean the guy won seven super bowls so um you know that that kind of in and of itself i don't care even if, okay fine three of them are are invalid in your mind he still had four so like let's take a step back here but like this is where like i'm like yeah Eli Manning come on like no nah, i don't and he's first in every statistical category all time tom brady as well so yeah there's not 100 really oh, argument there no but like Look this is where I'm... yeah go ahead. yeah i mean you just have a lot of parameters i think like longevity has to be one of them you have to be up there in stats especially at least in your era like if you're the maybe not all time but in your era like 10 to 15 years if you're one of the best for all 10 to 15 years of that you're mvp one of those years and you have a bunch of the, like there's a lot of parameters here and Matt Stafford just hasn't fit enough of those. Same with, I don't think Phil Rivers has fit enough of those. Eli Manning, I don't think. Matt Ryan, I don't think has. He had the one MVP season. Honestly, I think winning can be lower on that because winning is such a team aspect. But again, there's so many parameters, but Matt Stafford's not a Hall of Famer. What about Russell Wilson? I don't think so. I'd have to look more into his stats. I don't know his... i got to be honest, I don't know his stats well enough and where he ranks in a lot of things. So at the moment, off the top of my head, I'd say no. But if I look back at it, and again, he still should have another two, three seasons at least left in him of decent football. Then again, we could have that conversation then. That's where I like, I don't like discussing guys in the middle of their careers either. Like, are we going to discuss Joe Burrow being a Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, one one reporter was like, don't give him the gold jacket yet. And he would, you know, this was what, last season, I think, or earlier this season. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But, like, you don't have to make that comment either because it's just, like, it's it's a non-question. It Like, the guy has played yeah. one and a half seasons. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean yeah, okay, great. They, they, they caught lightning in a bottle this year. Um, I want to talk a little bit about something else later. We'll, we'll NFL related. Well, I mean, we'll the crazy, that, craziest stat on Joe Burrow's side is uh, the last 16 quarterbacks to lose in their Super Bowl debut – have never made it back. So this might have been Joe Burrow's only chance ever. Like this might be it. And I thought the Bengals played well. Like I well, overall, they I thought played, I thought they yeah, played, they played well. well. I, I they you know, their fourth down conversions were not very good. And they made some questionable decisions. You know, Zach Taylor going for it on his own 45, I think it was, in the first like 3 minutes of the game and not getting it, that probably was the wrong call. Probably. <laughs> But I don't know. They, they, they're just – it's one of those things where, honestly, like, they just – as I said, they, they had a Cinderella season and they just came up short against the better team. I mean, there's a reason that the Rams went all in with 
with Vaughn Miller, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, OBJ, Cooper Cup, like they they absolutely loaded up. We talked about it at the beginning of the season that there was a potential for them to be the best in the NFC. And not only were they the best in the NFC, um, they were the best in the NFL. And the other thing I just want to comment on is, do I actually think that the Rams were the best team in the NFL this year? No. I think if the Chiefs made it or if the Bills made it, you could say, well, they lost. to um, Yeah, I get it. And good teams can lose games that they probably shouldn't lose. But I, I don't know. I just have this – like, I don't know. If, if you had the Chiefs or the, the Bills in that game, I just felt like they would have come out of that. I didn't – I wasn't overly impressed by the Rams. I was not impressed uh, with the officiating at the end of that game. I mean, I – No, the officiating all game was kind of questionable. There was a lot of missed calls on both sides. I know everyone will argue about a couple of them, but there was there was a lot of missed calls both ways. And it, at the end of the day, I don't think it was the difference. No. The difference was – I mean, they let them run down the field like the, Vi- the not Vikings, ha! the Vikings of the Super Bowl. That's a funny one. The, Ra- <laughs> the Rams kind of just marched down the field towards the end of the game. And I think the thing that people griped about the most was just like, yeah, there was missed calls all game and the whistles were away. And then all of a sudden the whistles came out in the last five minutes. And it was like, that's a really bad time in a Super Bowl when it's a close game to bring the whistles out. And was there penalties? Absolutely. There was, but you know, there, there's, you know, there's people who argue, well, Aaron Donald was, you know, offside on, on one play before the ball was snapped. Um, there's a great clip of the Rams uh, O-line, like taking two steps before the ball was snapped. Now it's quick and it, you maybe could miss it, but like, it's an obvious, obvious false start. And, but then there was the, was it Higgins touchdown where he clearly faced Oh, hundred percent. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> arguing that, but like, yeah. that was, that was so much earlier in the game. So I'm just saying yeah. that, like, all of a sudden at the end points. of the game, well, yeah, it is. But at the end of the game, you're, you're, you know, we're talking about the Super Bowl here. This is like the refs not calling anything in the in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final, and then in the last three minutes, like they let everything go, miss calls on both sides. You know, they miss a trip or miss too many men that they end up scoring a goal on, and at the end of the game, they're calling a five on three in the last three minutes, like on ticky tack things. Like that's the comparison that I think that people are like are making. And I, I can't disagree. Um, I mean, it wasn't like I've seen, like I have seen uh, the stuff that Cooper cup, like the, that the Bengals got called on, on Cooper cup. I've seen so much worse in the NFL this season and in the playoffs that didn't get called. So the bills would be happy, happy to talk about the calls that they didn't get called or that, that didn't get called on them. Yeah. I mean, the rest are going to be a part of it. Always. We see it every year. We're, some one team or both teams are complaining about the refs. And again, they're, they impacted this game at times, but it wasn't the difference still. No, as I said, and this all just comes back to, at the end of the day, as I said, the, the, the better team won. And uh, they had a big parade with a couple hundred people. Um, are the Rams yeah, like it. the Arizona Coyotes of the NFL? Like, they just don't have any fans. Well, you also had to be vaccinated and masked to be at the parade, according to the governor. It was on the public streets. Yep, you still were supposed to be masked oh my gosh. and vaccinated to be there. That is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Sorry. Like I... LA LA's a mess. I mean, everyone at the Super Bowl was supposed to be masked as well. As <laughs> you know, that looked really Yeah, really there was nobody so. that was masked there. Absolutely nobody. Like, that's just, no. I mean, that's just politics at this point. But really, you want people to be vaxxed on the streets? Like, that's, anyway. But yeah, I, yeah. It's just a whole different mess. But, I mean, you get rid of the team for a bunch of years. They're in St. Louis for a bunch of years. They come back. We all know LA's not the greatest fan community. Like, the Chargers would even have less fans if they had the parade there. 
But uh, it's not the biggest fans, but they draw celebrities. They draw good crowds. They draw away teams all the time. Like, even the crowd for the Super Bowl, I think they said it was, like, 40% still Bengals. Like, LA's still a fun city to have a team in, and you got to have it. But is the fan base in LA that strong? No. No. No, not at all. And that's why I was rooting for the Bengals, honestly, was because it was, like, I'm rooting for a team that actually has a strong fan base, and, you know, they haven't had a lot of success. It was kind of like cheering for... It was like cheering for the Leafs a little bit, where you're like, ah, oh, this fan base hasn't had a lot of success. They don't have that Super Bowl, like, you know, their first playoff win in 35 years. Like, yeah, let's go underdog team. And I just have this hate on for LA because I just, I feel like they're, their fans are fake. Sorry. At least the Kings fans, the LA Kings fans, I can give it to them. The La- but like Lakers fans, y'all are fake. Lakers fans are fickle as fuck. They don't like LA Kings. Like they've actually, they built that. Now they did build it through winning Stanley Cups. I get that. But at least they, I, they fill the building and they're wild. You know, Vegas has proved that they can have fans in the building that are nuts. Uh, but overall, I do not like teams from the West Coast. Maybe it's because I'm just that hard-nosed East Coast guy. But, yeah, no. Ain't, ain't my thing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see who uh, we'll see what happens next year. Um, but overall, as I said, you know, gr- uh, good game. Halftime show was was nice. Um, lots of uh, lots of nostalgia. Super Bowl party was was good. Everybody was feeling a little rough Monday morning. Not to drag everybody out of my house, so <laughs> all of all of you fuckers had to drag you all out and uh, and get to our event. But uh, yeah, good time. I love the Super Bowl weekend, man. It's it's so bittersweet. Yeah, it's bittersweet. It was kind of came and went so fast. It seems like it always it always seems like a blur. I mean. The uh, alcoholic beverages might have something to do with it. Always Perhaps. Like a bar- the Twisted Teas just- <laughs> and the Pink Whitney. It also just comes and goes so fast every year, it seems. Well, it's like 2 o'clock, everybody comes over, 2, 2.30, and then all of a sudden it's the halftime show, and all of a sudden it's 11 p.m., and we're all dying. Like, you know, that's I don't know. That's just how it is. But I went to bed early that night anyway because, you know, kid wakes up early, and I'm no fun anymore. So, um. Before we get to Olympic stuff, I just want to talk about way too early NFL predictions. And I don't know how much thought you've put into this. I have a couple of hot takes that I like. Uh, but, uh, you know, what kind of, we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't kind of reviewed our predictions from the, from the start of the year. That's okay. I am kind of got tired of it anyway. And I also have to go back and listen. I forgot and I'm too lazy. Um, not really getting paid to do this whole thing. So I don't really have enough time to do that. Uh, but way too early predictions do you want me to kick it off because i have one yep you go the right cincinnati Bengals. i was already ready the cincinnati Bengals will not make the playoffs next year that is my prediction i do not think and and here's if people are like oh no they're, i mean come on like they're gonna you know they're, they're so good they got pieces they got cap space they're gonna grow blah 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 i'm like okay let's the the, the win total was two and a half this year like, are we forgetting this? Are we forgetting that they were like they were projected to be one of the like the bottom five teams in the NFL? Because I don't forget, and I was on that like they they were ten and seven this year. There's no chance they're going ten and seven the, next year. No way. Like, look at uh, and and I'll give you and I'll, my way my way too early predictions for playoffs next year. Like Baltimore is going to be better next year. They finished eight and nine this year. They were absolutely in their injury ravaged. They are going to be better. Pittsburgh, nine and seven, nine, seven and one. 
they're going to get somebody at QB. I don't know who, but they're just they're going to have a winning season because my, uh, Mike Tomlin. It's Mike Tomlin. Mike, Mike Tomlin, Tomlin doesn't just... have losing seasons, so he's going to be up there again. Um, Cleveland, I think, it might have a bit of a setback again because you know they're going to ride Baker. Baker's going to drive him into the ground. Um, AFC South, I mean, Tennessee's still going to be a good team next year. Um, Buffalo is going to be a good team next year. Miami's going to take a step next year. I think Miami makes the playoffs next year. Makes a wild card spot. Um, they're going to add. They, they have the most cap space in the league by a, by a lot, and they're good. And they've made great coaching changes. They've made they have tons of cap space to bring whoever they want in. KC, uh, um, the the LA Chargers, like Las Vegas. Like there's a lot of teams next year. Like off the top of my head, there are one, two, three, four, five. I'll say six with New England, seven, eight, nine, ten teams that I think legitimately have a chance to make the playoffs next year in the AFC. Legitimately. There's only four teams who I think have no chance. Three teams for sure. Well, the Houston, Jets, the Texans. Yeah. Jets, Texans, Jags don't have a chance. And then I might even put the Browns in that category that I don't know if they have a chance at all. Well, this is where I'm looking and I'm saying like, okay, so – I just don't know. Like, I, I definitely don't think the Bengals are winning the division. I do not. Th- I think that the the Ravens are going to have an unbelievable year next year. They're going to be healthy. They're going to have running backs. They're going to have healthy Lamar. They're going to have a revamped wide receiver core. Like, they're just going to be better. Like, they will. And so, like, the- I, I, I think they'll be better, but they kind of won a couple games where maybe they shouldn't. And, again, I just think that division is going to be so tough and they're going to beat up on each other. So, yeah, they should finish a win or two better, but I don't think they're going to be crazy better. Like a 10 and 8 season, or yeah, no, 10 and 7 season. How many games is there again? 17, 17. not 18. Yeah, 10 and 7 is probably still where I kind of picture them being, but uh, it's just going to be a lot tight. Like, I think to me, the Bills are still going to win the AFC East. Yep. The AFC North is pretty wide open. The South, Titans or Colts. Colts, if they can get a quarterback, I think they might actually be the front runner for that division. And then you got to just assume the Chiefs are winning the AFC West. Then you have a ton of teams in this wild card race. Like the Broncos, if they figure out their quarterback situation, they're, they got a stacked team. It sounds like Von Miller really wants to go back there if they don't bring back the super team in LA. So then Chargers, you got to count the Raiders in. Like they've just seemed to manage getting it done. They should have most of the same guys come back. So there's just so many people. And this is what I'm saying. Like, like people are like, oh, Bengals are definitely going to make it. I'm like, they're going to be fighting for a wild card spot because they're not winning the division. And like there's a lot of teams, 8 and 9 Baltimore, 9 and 8 Miami, uh 10 and 7 New England. Now I don't know if New England takes a step back, but it's Bill Belichick and they're going to rattle off wins somehow unless Mac Jones shows that he's an absolute loser, which he is. Um but like there's just a lot of teams like even Vegas, like Vegas 10 and 7, Chargers 9 and 8. Like there's lots of teams there that I'm like, man, these guys are going to be fighting. And when I say the Bengals are going to miss the playoffs, I'm not saying they're going to go like 4 and 13. But they could go no, I, eight and nine. I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they have a good chance at that division still, and if not, they should be able to slot into the wild one of the top wild card spots. But that's just my hot take. That's my that's my way too early prediction uh, in the AFC. Do you got any? Oh, I mean, we keep going back to my player one because uh, we've we are all in on Mike McDaniel right now. Yeah, and this coaching staff, this uh, team he's put together. I know we still got to see it on paper. We got to see it in games. But everyone's all over this whole, is Tua, what's Tua going to do? Tua is going to throw for 3,500 yards and 25 touchdowns. That's a minimum. He's going to do it. 
It's whether he can get to that 4,030 that is a little in question to me, but he's going to throw over 3,500 yards and 25 touchdowns. That is a lock. It's going to happen. In this new offense, if they can figure out this O-line a little better, it's going to happen. He was almost there with how bad this O-line was and being injured in his first 16 starts. So you're going to give me a full healthy season of Tua with a better offensive coach, a better offensive coaching staff, a QB's coach, an O-line's coach, like all of these things. I'm all in on Tua, at least for this year. I mean, end of the year, I can be proven wrong again. But for 2022, going into the season, I'm all in. I like it. I got one more. This is controversial. I'm only spinning hot takes. I'm not spinning any sort of like, oh, LA Rams are going to run it back. With it. No, 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 no. Only spicy takes. You're gonna, you might laugh at this one. I don't know. We're going to find out. The Carolina Panthers have a chance, have a high chance of winning the NFC South. And I think that they actually might win. If they can get, if they can get their quarterback situation figured out, I legit think that the Carolina Panthers have a chance of winning the division. I give our buddy Nate a hard time about how they're shit, but I'm looking at these teams in the NFC South. Tampa Bay has lost their quarterback. I think they're going to lose a couple wide receivers. Um, they're going to lose Fournette. They're going to lose like a lot of these offensive weapons. It's not the the studded destination that it is anymore because, honestly, their Super Bowl days are over. They're back to being a mediocre team. And, yeah, they've got decent defense. But I really do think that the offensive changes are going to cause a massive problem there. If they get Deshaun Watson, then maybe we can revisit this. But this is why it's an early take. Um, New Orleans. New Orleans, I think, is going to be a disaster. They have no cap space. They have negative cap space, like negative 80, 80 million cap space. They gotta unload. They're gonna be trash. Atlanta needs to reset. If if C Mac can have a healthy season and they can figure out their quarterback situation, like Carolina's got a lot of great pieces on defense. Like and they had a great start to the year and then they kind of fizzled out with injuries and other stuff. But could the Carolina Panthers actually win the division? I think they will in 2022. That is a spicy take in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing with the Carolina Panthers is just figuring out a quarterback. And I honestly think that if they can get a guy like Kenny Pickett or Desmond Ritter in the draft who are two pretty NFL-ready quarterbacks, I think they can take massive steps. Again, if C-Mac can stay healthy, you have that there. DJ Moore's a really good receiver. And this team just keeps drafting really good defensive players. And J.C. Horn missed most of the year this year. I think they could be a really good team if they could find a quarterback who is at least somewhat good. That's where I think they're going to try and see if they can sneak Pickett or Ritter at the end of the first or if they can trade up or trade down or do something to end up with one of those two because I don't think they'll want to pick them with where their first pick is, but they might be in play for getting one of those guys if they can't sign or get one of the Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers type guys. So I it's not I don't think that's that crazy of a hot take. I'm on the same page as they definitely have a shot at the division. It's just it's just way it's it's a way too early thing that when you look at them finishing five and twelve, you're like, eh, I don't know. And I'm like I hate to admit it. Trust me. More than most, I hate to admit it. But it could be nice. Yeah, I mean, the other team in the NFC that stands out to me who's made a ton of easy early moves, especially coaching staff-wide, are the Giants. I actually think they've turned into a massive just debacle of an organization when it came to their head coach, GM, and everything to bringing in some great people in the organization. And they've had some good moves. And now they have two top ten picks. With this better Dable and uh, Schuen, I actually think the Giants can make a couple big moves here, and I've never been high on the Cowboys. I will still keep fading the Cowboys. The guys from SGP will love it. And I am actually think I'm going to be pretty high on the Giants, especially if they can use those two picks to 
fix a couple massive holes, and then uh, free agency and stuff. What about the Lions? This is the last thing I want to talk about this before we talk about some Olympic stuff. The Detroit Lions, 13, sorry, 313-1 last season. Do the Detroit Lions have what it takes to get top two in the NFC North? I'm not saying first. I'm just saying top two. Can they get second? Can they get second place? No. No, the Lions, I still think they've made a lot of good moves and they're in the right direction. I just think this division is actually going to be quite competitive. The Bears have made a couple nice coaching staff moves. The Vikings should be better than they are again. They've just redid their coaching staff as well. And the Packers, I have absolutely no idea what's happening with them, so I don't even want to guess. But right now, you got to still assume Rodgers and stuff are going to come back. There's rumors that they're going to franchise tag Devontae Adams. So who the heck knows what's going to happen with the Packers. So the Lions are still going to be at the bottom of that division, and it's going to be rough. Uh, the interesting news that did come out about the Lions, though, is so Jared Goff's contract's over at the end of next year. Matthew Stafford's is at the same time. Does Matthew Stafford's just try and run it back with the Rams this year and then go back to Detroit to finish his career? I mean, I I don't know if you want to go back to Detroit from L.A. You're rubbing elbows with this. Gonna... That's fucking greasy, dude. You're going from, you know, Hollywood. You're rubbing elbows with the stars. It's warm. You're going to go back to greasy, cold Detroit? Ford Field? But Detroit should be pretty competitive in two years. Ford Field's inside. It's a dome, so. Yeah, it's not that nice, though. I've been there. It's, cra- no. it's kind of crappy. <laughs> but it's still a dome, so. Yeah, well, it's not nice. I mean, you got to walk outside and look at all the gray. Sorry, Detroit yeah, fans. No, I, I, I do not like Detroit, and just in general. Sorry, anybody who's a Detroit fan. I just, like, as a town. It's like, honestly, you cross the border. Like, it could be sunny in Windsor, and you cross the border, and it's gray in, in Detroit. It's never sunny in Windsor either. No, it's really not. But let's just – i just an example. I'm just saying. Like, it could be. It's like its like when you're in Ireland. You cross from the south. It's green and it's sunny. You go to the north and it's gray and black and dark. It's the same thing you going might, You must really hate Detroit to talk up Windsor a bit. Every time I go, the Leafs lose, so fuck them. I hate them. Anyway, does Dan Campbell finish the se- – uh, is, is next season Dan Campbell's last season with Detroit Lions? No, I, I, I know there's a lot of talk. Again, you don't hire a tight ends coach as your head coach. But he's a motivator of people, and sometimes that's what you need as a head coach. He seems to have the players on both sides of the ball on his team. So as long as he brings in the proper coordinators, the proper coaches around him, I think he could really be successful there. I know there will be people who will argue that, but, again, he doesn't have to play call. If he's a good motivator of people and a good head coach, then that's all you need. So, again, I think one thing I've realized in the last couple years with the Miami Dolphins is bringing in a proper coaching staff is more important than just the head coach. So if Dan Campbell can bring in a really good coaching staff and has the right people around him, I think he can be a very successful head coach. I like it. That's all I got NFL-wise, at least until it comes to draft season or any sort of news pops up. Anything else you got that you, unless you're good to sign off the 2021 NFL season, sadly. No, I'm ready to sign off with the 2021 NFL season. It was fun. We'll do better next year. I mean, we didn't do bad this year, but hey, it's, you know, first fall year of us doing it. So next year will be uh, year number two. We got something to look back and compare on. We're going to have kind of some really nice comparables. We had lessons learned, hard lessons learned. We will find a much better way of keeping track of all of our predictions for next year, too. I promise you that. This is true. We got to figure that out. We're still rookies. We got to got to cut us some slack. I mean, you can like listening to us, and, and we don't have bad takes but uh, or bad picks, but our uh, – our accounting is not 
not the best, but I think there's not a, not a not a full time job for either of us. No, no. Be nice to be, but uh, but it's not. I mean, I'd love to be like a guy like Stephen A. Smith. That'd be sick. Um, okay, so that's that. We'll talk about uh, more NFL stuff as as it comes up, uh, and or you know, as I said, big trade moves, signings, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then obviously the draft. We'll get Jake back on for the draft. Uh, you guys can do your mock drafts. I'll pitch in what I can because I don't really. I'm not really a big draft guy, and uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, Olympics. Do you want to start with curling? Do you want to start with hockey? Where do you want to go? Let's start with curling because I think that's what's on a lot of people's mind at the moment. Well, on our mind a lot. Yeah. I guess not that many people follow curling as much as maybe you and me. But uh, yeah, let's start with curling a bit here. It's uh, been disappointing Olympics. We have the mixed doubles team did not qualify for the semis. Jennifer Jones missed out with the tiebreaker, didn't qualify for the semis. Yushu lost a heartbreaker this morning to Adine, which was tough. So he'll play for bronze at 1 a.m. So by the time you're listening to this, you will know whether he could win a medal or not. But uh, this is disappointing. We had our the lines set at one and a half gold medals, and we're not even going to get over one medal. No, we're not getting a gold medal. Um, breaking it down, like, kind of... Sport, not sport by sport, but like division by division. Mixed, I can give them a pass because, like, there are teams who kind of exclusively p- play mixed. Like, not, I mean, obviously, when you're a curler, you, you play other stuff, but there's teams who have been together for a while. And, you know, Holman and Morris kind of just got thrown together because um, Caitlin Laws would have played, but, you know, her team actually made it. So it is what it is. Um, I can give them a pass because, you know, they haven't played together. Mixed doubles is, is kind of the most random like anybody can really win a game of mixed doubles um it's definitely skilled like don't get me wrong i'm not saying that it's super random it's just it's hard to be super consistent and super good in mixed doubles it's just not the way that that kind of format of curling works so i can give them a pass um gushu you know underperformed i think that team underperformed uh throughout the round robin just in general and and he had a quote basically saying the same thing um I think the, the, the semi-match against the Dean, I mean, I don't really think anybody that you would have played, whether it was Great Britain, whether it was uh, Sweden, like there's a lot of really, really good curling teams. Um, and the world in general is caught up on, on Canadians and curling. And that's pretty obvious just in the world championships and the Olympics over the last couple of years. Um, but it was really close. I mean, he, he didn't make a bad shot this morning in the last stand, and he got to steal, you know, Mike McEwen basically said like, if you were down one, going into the 10th and you don't have the hammer, there's like a 10% chance against good teams and like a 5% chance against that team to win that end. Like 5%. That's not very high. He had the, he had the hammer though. Oh, sorry. Um, Gushu had the hammer yes. in 10 down. <clears throat> You're right. And so, so again, context with that quote though is saying that like, it's very unlikely for like a guy like a Dean or whoever to win that kind of a game. But it, it's, we always say in curling, it's a game of inches, and it really is. And, it, you know, yeah. Gushu had to roll actual, an inch more. The actual stats on that end were uh, Adina had been good at 56% at keeping teams away from getting uh, two points with the other team had the hammer. So he was actually ranked second in the Olympics in that stat. Gushu ranked second in getting two points at 44%. So it's literally opposite. So it's about 55% chance that Adine wins that match, 45% chance 
that uh, Gushu wins it. And he gave himself a chance. He had a shot. It was a tough one. Just missed it. I mean, maybe could have played a little bit easier for one to just try and push it to an extra end, but he was hoping for the two. But even an extra end, again, against a team like that. It hurts. The, yeah, extra end hurts your chances even more oh, than it, trying it, to get it two does. probably on that and shot. You gotta, it's probably the yeah. same percentage as trying to make the shot he made, I'd say. It was probably a 5 to 10% chance of making that shot. So probably similar, but you're going to take that any day of the week. You're going to put that pressure on yourself than giving the other team a chance to win it. He saw what happened with Russia with giving them a chance. So, I mean, that's tough, though. I think, Gushu, you're going to give a pass. If he can come out tonight, and by the time you're hearing this, and he's won bronze, that's okay, in my opinion, because you have those three teams are so strong. Uh, like, Scotland's the best in the world right now by far. And Adin and Gushu, I think any day of the week, you could flip a coin. So... The fact that it came down to that, and if they win bronze, it's kind of a disappointment, but it's not. It's it's an okay, I think. It's not as bad as Jones and Home and not and Morris not even making the sense. Yeah, you got to come home with something because I just feel like when you're that good and not coming home with anything, and I know somebody has to lose. This is the reality of professional sports. Like somebody has to lose, and they hate it. And there's a lot of good teams that have to lose, um, and you don't want it to be your team that loses. But at the end of the day, like. You know, you when you when you were ranked as high as they are, you have high expectations. And I would say that overall, um, I can't really blame. I didn't think that they. I say again to summarize that game. I didn't think that Gushu played that. I didn't think they played poorly. I think they got beat by a, a team that is equal to them, and and you know possibly this tournament better than them. Standings wise, they were better than them. And, and it came down to a 50-50 end. And, and, that, and that's it. So way. you can walk away from that and say, you know, oh, well, we should have done this, should have done that. And, you know, he was saying, well, we need an hour to decompress. And I'm like, dude, an hour? It took me like five days for my competitive match last week that that I couldn't. They got to they play for a bronze at one. Yeah, I mean, that, that, and that's Friday the thing, morning, right? So. Um, so, yeah. So I can give them a pass. I cannot. And, I, I, and I'm not. Take this with a grain of salt because I, I'm not. I get how tough it is. I get that, you know, and, you know, other nations are getting better at curling. I cannot give Jennifer Jones and that team pass. I can't. They did not, they did not play. And they'll be the first to tell you that they did not play how they wanted to play. And maybe they just couldn't figure out the ice, maybe pressure. I, and I don't think it's pressure because they've been there before. They just missed shots and they missed a lot of shots. And they missed a lot of shots that like for the, an amateur curler, you'd say, oh, it's kind of a tough shot. When you're playing at that level, you have to hit those shots. And there's no, if you have a run, like if you have a run back, you need a run back double and you have to hit it on the nose straight. If you're a professional curler, you need to be able to hit that shot 99 times out of a hundred. I'm not saying nine out of 10. I'm saying 99 times out of a hundred, you got to hit that shot, especially when you've played that shot before. Like they've played, they played a similar shot. Like in, in, in another, this is against China. I'm talking about, um, which was basically to try and get them in. If they win that game, they are in. Um, and they 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 hit they they miss shots that were way too easy by professional standards. I'm not saying that I could hit that shot necessarily. Well, I could, but I'm not saying I would consistently hit that. But when you're that good and you're you've won that much, you have to hit those shots. And same thing with I'm not just putting all the blame on Jennifer Jones either. You know, the lead, the second, Caitlin Laws, like everybody across the board needed to be better. By the end of the day, like as a skip. You got to make that shot. Like you can only make the, as a skip, you can only make the shots that are given to you. So if you have the opportunities to make those shots and miss them, that's on you. Yeah, I mean that China match, they just missed too many shots for too many ends in a row. They came off a massive five point end, really had control of the entire game. There's no way you should give up a three point lead, and they just mismanaged those last ends so terribly. Jocelyn Peterman 
curled some of the worst curling I've ever seen in the Olympics. And it's tough. I get it. The pressure's there. And I get it. You're still a skip and all the pressure's going to go on the skip. But they kept making her have to hit much harder shots than he should, especially when you were up three. Like you should be able to ease out a three point win down the stretch. And because everyone on the team was missing so many shots, it put a lot more stress on Jones's shots. She made some incredible shots. And then she missed some that she should have absolutely hit. For sure. And again, the women's, I mean, again, the women's Canada's still like, we're so deep on both sides. Like even the guys, we have five of the top 10 teams, I think at the moment, if not more, seven of the top 10 teams, we're still way deeper than every nation, but the top nations, top teams are catching us. And I mean, the mixed thing I want to do kind of go back on that a little bit. I think this is where every, even Gushu Jones, Homan Morris, everyone's arguing that Canada needs to do their trials a year in advance, 10 year, 10 months in advance. They need to know the teams that are going to the Olympics beforehand and the team that it helps out probably more than anybody. It helps out both the men's and women's teams because they know how to prepare for, they're preparing for those teams instead of trying to prepare for the trials. They're not preparing for the Briar and Scotties anymore. They're worried about the Olympics, but then you have your mixed team 10 months in advance. They know they're the mixed team going in. They practice, they compete way tougher. This is what all the other countries do. Some of the other countries do have full-time year-round mixed teams, but some of them don't. And this is the same thing that they do. Canada is the only country that doesn't do this. And you're hearing it from all these people that it even impacts the guys and the women and men's team in preparation for the Olympics. So I know we don't want to go back to like the hockey summit that the hockey players did when we struggled so much, but there needs to almost be some sort of curling summit here where people sit down and be like, we need to do something about it. I mean, the way they set up Canada curling in general now, because now you're getting a lot of people who are upset that Holman and Jones couldn't compete at the Scotties and Gushu's team's going to get compete at the Briar and the Olympics because of the timing. Like, why did you do the Scotties over the Olympics this year? There's a lot of issues here that I think Canada curling and stuff just needs to take a look at and redo a bunch of things. And then there's even little rules. We saw Gushu a couple times and Jones once forget that there's only one timeout at the Olympics. Why is Canada curling still running two timeouts if on any world, the world championships and Olympics, you only get one. Why are we doing that? Why are we not trying to compete at the tougher? There's just so many of these little things and little details that I think Canada curling needs to sit down and look at to be able to beat these other top teams. We're still a great country in curling. We again have amazing teams, but there's these little things that I think we need to do to actually get back to being on top regularly in the world. Well, I, I think that makes a lot of sense and, Hey, I mean, at the end of the day, like you're saying to me, like, yeah, we need a curling summit. We need to sit down and figure out what the heck went wrong here. And, and I mean, they'll they'll obviously talk about it. And Rachel Holman tweeting out, you know, she's in this dark place after the whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's tough. And and just so everybody knows, like, just to clarify, I, I'm not personally attacking Jennifer Jones. I don't care about, like, I I don't think this is not a personal attack. But I think it's fair to say that. You know, if you're representing Canada and you're the best in Canada where we have tons of teams, you have to make the playoffs. You can't go four and four. Like, you just can't. Five, Five and, four. and four. You can't. You can't. You can't. Yeah. You, have, you, have, you have to win more than that, and they lost games to teams they shouldn't have lost to. And you could say, well, you know, you can lose to anybody. That's the beauty of curling. I mean, Rachel said that when she was on our show last week. She says the thing about women's – and she said this. She said the, the, the thing about women's curling – or about curling, but women's curling especially is that anybody on any given week can beat anybody. Um, that's what Rachel Strylash said last week on our show. So, is that true? Well, obviously the Olympics has proved that's true. 
but you have to take steps and figure out a way to make that not true and and find a way to make yourself better than everybody else and let's be honest here sometimes you just have an off year it, it doesn't always have to be like that um and we can you know look back and say man would it have been great to have carrie einerson there uh, or whatever the case is but she wasn't she didn't win so she wasn't there um and that's just you know that's that's how the gig is man like that's how it works and at the end of the day we hope uh we can get a medal um because uh our expected medals in this uh in, in curling were at least two and uh we're, we're we're gonna get maybe one yeah hopefully we can pull out the bronze but as we've kind of just mentioned on there needs to be a lot of a lot of little things looked at and as we've mentioned in all sports we're not critiquing who they are as people or that they didn't give it their all at the Olympics. Cause I a hundred percent believe for all sure. of them did, but they are professionals. They do get paid, not so much for the Olympics, but they do get paid. We are allowed to critique their play. We're not attacking them personally. We're not going to go say, Oh no, they're horrible people, but we are allowed to critique their play. That's what you do as sports broadcasters, sports writers, anything you're allowed to critique the professionals because they get paid to play this game. Well, and not only that too, but like, you know, we also didn't say that they let down a nation. Like there's people who are saying like, Oh, like you're like, it's a shame. Like you've disappointed everybody. Was it disappointing? Yes. Did you let down a nation? No, it's a game. Like at the end of the day, like next week, I'm not going to be sitting there like, God, I can't believe Canada curling, man. I still can't get over it. Like, no, that's not going to be a thing. Would it be nice to win? Yeah, absolutely. Like we're passionate about our team and our country, you know, our teams in our country winning, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, as you said, um, this is kind of our gig. You want you want an honest opinion on what we thought about it? That's what I think about it. So there you go. Um, but the good news is, while we have good and bad news, we got a gold medal yesterday. Well, this morning, but technically yesterday in China. And it was in women's hockey. Team Canada. Stunning victory over the Team USA, 3-2. I did hedge happiness, so I lost a little bit of money. Uh, you're welcome, everybody. Because uh, this time, well, last time I did it was the World Juniors, Canada versus the U.S., and I hedged, and the U.S. actually won at, like, plus 400. So that, that wasn't my bad. But this time it actually worked out. So, um, yeah, I mean, Canada really played a, a complete game. Um, their goaltender, Marie-Philippe Poulin, was a stud again with two goals. Um, Natalie Spooner, Sarah Nurse had a beautiful tip. Uh, to, to score the first goal. Nat Spooner's goal got called off because of offside by like a mile. I don't know how the linesman missed that. Like yeah, it, wasn't it wasn't even really close. close. No. Not even it was close. pretty obvious. As soon as they went to review it, you're like, yeah, that's offside. That's really not that close. But, I mean, any, any linesman can miss any call and it's easier to wave it off than call it the other way. With video review, it's way easier to let it go. Like if I had video review, though a lot of those close ones, I'm waving off to see how the play goes. And then we can go back to video because if you blow it down, nothing can happen anymore. So let's look at the just just to briefly go back to the NFL. It's like when there's a fumble or a possible fumble and the rest blow it dead. I hate it so much. Like let the play run out, let it run back to the end zone. If it wasn't a fumble, call the play back. Anyway, yeah, same thing, same thing. And but either way, um, they played a complete game, three two. It really wasn't. I mean, can't Marie Philippe playing got a penalty late in the game. You know, the U.S. scored with 12 seconds left. Uh, they, you know, overall... Canada really did take their foot off the gas, though. They kind of got up and kind of shelled it a bit. Uh, Debian had to make some great saves and then got lucky on a couple posts. But Canada, the first period, dominated the U.S. And we thought this game was going to be over in a hurry. Then they kind of got that one. And then the U.S. actually held play the rest of the game pretty good. 
Uh, Canada kept them to the outside for the most part, but DBM made some massive saves, and it was a close game, and it's just every time these two teams play each other, like the women's hockey tournament in general wasn't very good because these two teams just are so dominant, but it's a good hockey. I just remember, like, compared to 2002 to 2022 now, women's hockey is fun to watch. That was a fun game to watch. It was physical. It was hard. Those women do not like each other one bit when they're on the ice together, and it's just fun to watch, and for Canada to come out on top, it was awesome, and it was amazing to see and just the excitement marie poulin now has three golden goals she scored in all four gold medal games she's played in it's it's unbelievable well and and one of the things that i really liked was like five seconds left or whatever the puck goes behind the net and the canadian girl just ran the american behind the net didn't give two shits about penalty or anything like there was no way there was enough time for the ref to blow the whistle and even if they did it'd be like one second like there's I just loved it so much. I don't know why, by the way, they don't allow hitting in women's hockey because they hit anyway. Like, this is like, I mean, I guess you could say, well, it's kind of like on the 401, the reason that the speed limit is 100 because we know everybody's going to go 120. Terrible. I hate it. Allow them to hit. They hit anyway. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand why they don't allow it. Maybe you know. I don't know because it, it's awesome, man. And it was super competitive. And, and frankly, the women's tournament as it kind of always is, is more exciting to watch than the men's, frankly. Even when the even when the the NHLers are there, like look at 2014, I thought, you know, in my opinion at least, I thought the women were way more exciting to watch. Yeah, 2014, the men's tournament was honestly just as boring, if not more boring than this. Canada dominated, played super defensively, allowed no scoring chances. Carey Price is, was Carey Price, and it was like, yeah, okay, Canada's winning every game like 3 nothing. So let's move on and hand them the gold medals. But, uh, yeah, the women's hockey super exciting. And, again, Canada-U.S. on ice hockey, like any age group, any gender, it's almost must-watch. Even, even the men's side, I know the tournament was kind of disappointing, and I think we got to go somewhere else with this tournament if the NHL aren't going to be there, whether we do more what soccer does and – because the professionals don't play there. They do like the under 25 for the Summer Olympics for the guys. We might have to go something like that for if they can't be there again. Because it's just a messy tournament. Overall, Cole Julia, in my opinion, should not be coaching anymore. He just he plays too shell. He plays too defensive. And it's not working in today's style of hockey. Disappointing for Canada. But again, it's just kind of a messy tournament for the guys. I was hoping for more. I was hoping they'd see more. But when he started, when you see Claude Julien starting to bench the young guys, and then you even heard it from the U.S. game losing to Slovakia in the shootout, that Matty Benier didn't get to shoot in the shootout, just kind of too messy of a tournament right now. Well, and the other thing I want to say too is like it's disappointing because we like to win gold medals in hockey. That's just a pride thing. Um, there was a lot of really good teams. Like Russia was a good is a good team. Sweden's a good team. Like there's a lot of guys that are playing in the Swedish Elite League, the KHL whatever, um, that are excellent, excellent hockey players. And not saying that the guys that we have our team aren't good, like guys like Owen Power, or, uh, McTavish, or whoever. Like, But oh, 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 Corbin Knights, yeah. the third leading scorer in the KHL, and you do get some of that, but just the way they were used wasn't the way they were used properly, and it just is a messy tournament. And then a lot of these guys for the European teams do play in the world championships together and some of this. So the guys are a little more familiar and you do get maybe a little better talent overall from the European teams, but I don't know. Canada could easily win the gold and they could easily lost out in the quarterfinals. It was a way tighter tournament and anybody could have won it basically out of those last eight. And 
you just saw Canada was on the losing end of that. Well, and quarterfinals was really a next goal wins. I mean, for any kids that listen, I hope you don't because there's bad language, but um, like anybody who plays a sport, there's one thing that every coach should tell you and will tell you. When you get the puck at the blue line, what do you do, Cam? You got to get it out first. That, exactly. Just, yeah. You passing it backwards in your own, like, I don't care if it doesn't, you don't see anybody and you think it's a safe play. Don't do it because th- that goal that Sweden scored. So there's two things on that play. that were an absolute disaster. And we're going to break it down real quick. Cause that was the, that, I mean, yeah, it was two, nothing empty net goal, whatever, by the way, terrible goaltender pull as well. Like absolutely horrific pull. Basically pulled it as Sweden was getting the puck. Not good. Second of all, uh, turning it over the blue line, not good. Okay. So that's a one on two, whatever the case is. The guy goes around the uh, outside corner, has an open shot, probably about hash marks. Okay. Canada's goaltender played really well. I thought that game, they made some nice stops had had stopped, you know, a couple partial breaks, high quality scoring chances. And whoa, I forget who the defenseman was. What did the defenseman do? And you're a goaltender and you hate this so much. It's instinctive for a defenseman to do it, but it is the worst. What do they do? They stick their stick out. Stick their stick out in the path of the puck. And what happens? Puck comes along the ice, tips up on the defenseman's stick, and goes top shelf with a little bit of a knuckle puck. If you're not going to get the puck, don't put your stick there. This is the thing that I don't think people realize enough. With the way even like B, A-level men's league who I play against, if I can't see the puck come off their stick... These guys can shoot hard enough that it's going to be by me. I have to read the puck off their stick. And that's where you get guys in the NHL, especially like Matthews, and he has this weird release. That's why it's so hard to pick up because it doesn't come off the stick where it should be. So when you get a guy sticking out their stick, you're like, oh, that, but that was still far enough out. They shoot so fast that if you can't read it off the stick, it's impossible. And now it's hitting a stick and knuckling. You're reacting to where it should have ended up. So on that play... Tompkins is reacting to something that's going to go kind of mid-left, maybe high-left, and then it starts going right on him. He's like, the stick wasn't pointed that way. I couldn't read it off the stick that way. So it's something that's kind of hard to explain, but that it's an impossible save. Well, 100%. And the, again, from a defensive standpoint, somebody who's played defense, played offense, whatever, it is very difficult not to try because you don't – but like at that point, if the guy has the open shot, you are closing on that defenseman at that point. Like sticking out your stick is is useless, because and and this is the same thing as a two on one, right? Is on a two on one as a defenseman, you are giving the guy the shot. Take away the pass, give the give the goalie like like make, let the goalie make the save, take away the passing lane, and don't let the guy cut in. Don't stick your stick out there. Don't leave the one timer open on the like. It's the same thing. That play, close on him. Force him to shoot quick and let the goalie make the save. You didn't do it, and it cost you a medal. Like it's, it, I mean, maybe they don't score. Maybe Sweden scores anyway later on, or they score in overtime, and, and and the game's different. But you had one play, like you had a 10 second sequence that cost you a medal. At the end of the day, like, and you could say, well, yeah, they yeah, should have I mean, been better offensively, and they, you know, they played two defenses. Yeah, you, have to, and, you have to score to win. You, so. you do, and you do. But that, like, late in the game, nine minutes left in the game, you say they had a lot of time. It's a mental error, and those are ones that just are absolute killers. And the same thing happens in the NHL playoffs all the time, right? How often, like Leafs guy, when they play the halves, turn it over in the wrong spot. Or, uh, I mean, a great example, Cockney Emmy scoring in overtime. Like, that whole play, yeah. same. that was almost the same play. Almost the exact same play. 
And that changed the entire outlook of that series. And yep. it just it's just one of those things that is super unfortunate. But what can you do? Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll get to see McDavid play in, uh, in, a, in an Olympics one day. I really don't want to see another World Cup, to be honest. Don't really care. Especially if they do another North American team. I really hate that. I hope they don't do that again. But, um, but I digress. So, in summary, Canada men's team gets nothing. Women's get gold, which is awesome. Marie-Philippe Poulin's the GOAT. Um, Gushu might get a bronze. And our two other curlers got nothing. So... Canada is a soccer nation now. Canada is a... Yes. Yes. I think we're, what, one win away, pretty much? Pretty much one win, and we're in. And her women are reigning gold medal And her women, so women are reigning gold medal. Yeah, exactly. Right? We're just a soccer country now. Not a hockey or curling no. country. We're a soccer country. Yeah. I mean, our women did good in hockey, but curling and hockey in general, maybe we're just a soccer hey, country. Hey, we can now. play... If you can play soccer in the ice in the cold, you can play it in the warm. Right? That's what I'm thinking. So... Also, shout out to our ski cross girl. I was I was up late last night watching the women's game. And I watched the ski cross final. That whole like snowboard cross ski cross thing is so fun to watch. Like, I kind of wish it was full contact because that'd be kind of sweet. Like if you just had like I don't know if you've ever played was it SSX Tricky or whatever it was back on the day on the GameCube. You used to have like that wind up punch thing that you could like hit snowboarders with. I that'd be kind of fun. But anyway. Cool sport. I like it. Then we just need uh, Red Bull crashed ice in the Olympics. Also would be good. That would that would be mint. I'd be down for that. Um, we'll replace figure skating with Red Bull crashed ice because there's no judging in that. Figure skating's got to go. We talked about that briefly on ourselves. Um, all that shit coming out of Russia, the, the young girls, 17-year-old, 15-year-old saying, oh, we don't even want to be 15. here. We, we don't want to be here. Like, this is this is nuts. Like, and and you're, you're bringing up same in gymnastics. Like, I can't reading some of this stuff and I get it's Russia and I get like, you know, there's some controversy around it with, you know, doping and stuff like that. And I'm just kind of like, man, most of these figure skaters are kids. It's a judge sport. It's one of the, the most corrupt sports in the entire world. Um, I just like, there's scandals left, right and center. There's bad judges left, right and center. I mean, let's be honest. Like people have got hit in the knees with baseball bats over, over skating. Like, come on. It's just, I don't know. Take it out of the Olympics. I hate it. Sorry, figure skater. I, I, I hate it. I hate it. Hate it. Hate it. And I know, I know you got to judge sports too, but that's where, I don't know. It's just, everybody's so pissy every single year about it. And like, maybe they're just all prima donnas and they're just never happy with their score. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, it seems really fishy that it's that inconsistent all the time. Yep. So I got no, 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 nothing else to say on that subject. Well, there you go. So we got three more days of Olympics then that's done. Um, we're doing. We're, I think we're at twenty medals, so we're doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. We'll um, we'll kind of update that next week after it's all said and done. Uh, I'm sure there's some more storylines to be had. Uh, Cam, anything else you want to chat about before we sign off to next week? No, that's about it. I think we'll have plenty to talk about over the next few weeks. Getting close to the trade deadline for the NHL. Get back into hockey talk a little more now. Tyler Toffoli, by the way, got to bring that up. Traded from the Montreal Canadiens to the Calgary Flames. Uh, Ahead of the deadline, so I thought it was a good deal for the Habs. Why not? Yeah, it was a fine deal. Definitely shows that they're for sure going to rebuild for at least a year here. Sounds like they don't want to do a four or five year rebuild, but a quick reset here and do a really nice hard reset. Get a good pick this year, add a couple more first rounders. The draft's in Montreal. 
as long as it goes there still based on COVID protocols, but it should be in Montreal still. So having a couple first round picks, probably at least one more first round pick with Sherrod on the move. It's going to be exciting to be in Montreal for the draft. So big year, big turnaround year, and they'll move out a couple more guys. I like it. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at over six sports at Zach Burke over six and at C Charlton turf. And for the over six sports podcast, I'm Zach, the bandit Burke. And with me, the man, you know, and love the turf King. Thank you for listening to over six sports. So we will chat with you next week.